Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. We begin our brand new sermon series called Hot Mess. And uh, I'm excited to be with you on this brand new series because this is personal. Um, I, I kind of felt like, Lord, are you doing this for me or are you doing this for the church? But God is faithful that He loves us all, that there is something for all of us. Amen? And if you're listening to us via podcast, we just want to say thanks for joining us. And we hope that this message would help you take your next step closer to Christ together. Well, this is called Hot Mess. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm certainly, I certainly can relate to this phrase. And if you're unfamiliar with the phrase hot mess, um, our culture likes to use this phrase to describe things that are a bit out of control or truly completely out of control into pure chaos. And so we say this is a hot mess. The reality is, all of us at some point know or will know what it feels like to be in a hot mess. As I shared earlier, um, I just found out while I was visiting family in, out of state that my father is now being put on hospice. Didn't see that coming. And uh, it, it kind of took us by surprise, kind of feel things are out of control. And then I'm getting text messages from different family members because the first night that my pop got home, well, sure enough, it was a bad night with the hospital bed and all the different things and trying to get things situated. So it was a long night, but family members wanted to come over and, and the family that was there is like saying, not now. And so all of a sudden I'm getting phone calls. Can we not come? What's wrong? We can't we see your dad and da da da. And it's like a hot mess. And it was just, hey, they had a rough night. We just found out less than 24 hours ago. Can you let us get set up? Is all what was really going on. But can you anybody know what I'm talking about? The immediate assumption and the high emotions that go on, and everybody's getting offended. So we're going to be looking at four different places in our life where our, our life can be a hot mess. And probably one of the most emotional places is with family. I'm looking out and I know for some it's kind of like the fact that you are a Christian and your family is not. And they have a different belief system, maybe Buddhism. And you chose to go this route. You, you got a hot mess. Are you guys following and so hopefully we can find what does God tell us in the middle of our chaos how are we supposed to behave when family and all the dynamics of it is really chaotic and offensive and hurtful so we're going to dive into that the truth is if we're honest every family can be, let's just be honest, every family is messy. And it has been that way since Adam and Eve and the two sons, where Cain killed Abel. So 
I want to introduce you to a family from the Old Testament, starting with um, a man of where we get our great faith, right? It begins with some guy named Abraham. And we're going to go through all these patriarchs of the Old Testament all the way up. So we're going to go from Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and then we're going to go to their kid, Isaac. And Rebecca, and then from there we're going to go to their two sons, Jacob and Esau. And so there's a lot to cover. So am I going to get all of the detail in? No. You would be here till March. Okay? So there's too much information, but we're going to do a summary of it so we can catch something bigger from kind of like a high, you know, 30,000 view looking down and say, God, what do you want us to see through this incredible patriarch. This is where we get the 12 tribes of Judah. It's from this family. And they're a hot, hot mess. If God can use them, he can use us. Okay? So let's get going with this. So I want us to learn a few things. And we see this family and we find them in the book of Genesis. And... um. At this point, as we look at the story of Abraham, we're not going from him being Abram to Abraham. We're, we're in the story about him not having kids. That's kind of like where we're starting the story from. And he has received a promise after a promise of blessing and that fruitfulness would be there and, and it would be coming from Abraham's seed. And God even gets more specific to him and says, Sarah, your wife. Not the maidservant. Sarah is the covenant mom. And you the covenant dad. So let's turn and let's look. In Genesis chapter 15 verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, meaning Abraham. No, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And hey, it's not that. Stop playing games. Why? Him and Sarah were trying to fit pieces together and trying to play God. When God says He's going to do something, a lot of times you don't have to force it. You just have to trust it. Sometimes you can push too hard. And God promises Abraham a son. Not just a child, but a son. I mean, this is truly monumental of a promise, especially under the circumstances. I mean, Abraham and, and Sarah are elderly. He's not, he, she's like 80 and he's like um, 90. Like, I don't know, but anybody in that age group want to have babies? And there's like, no, but God's promising an incredible blessing. So the story goes on as God makes a promise to not only Abraham, but also to Sarah. So chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, again in Genesis. Where is Sarah, your wife? Right? The angel comes to say. The visitors ask, and she's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. And Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children, so she laughed silently to herself. 
How many have ever had your spouse, your female spouse, giggle and laugh? Right? You know what I'm talking about. So here, the messengers of the Lord, they hear Sarah laughing. And you know that they're probably close to the tent to where they were, you know, conversing and having their little snack and all that. And she, there's this tent right here. And you can just see her ear right up against the tent like she is listening in. And not paying attention, she starts to laugh. And they go, why is she laughing? Can you imagine what he must, the look on his face? Verse 11, Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such a pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard? Oh, I love this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year. And Sarah will have a son. Sarah struggled to believe this, guys. She laughed at the thought of bearing a child in her old age. Like a bunch of you when I said, how many of you want to have a child when you're, you're nine, when you're 90? She's 90 when she gives birth. Have you ever noticed how different it is to trust God regarding family versus trusting God for friends in the community? Boy, it just got really quiet. Isn't it true? When it comes to your own family, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your relatives, and you have to trust God with them, you're like, time to laugh. God, I know you're the God of impossible, but maybe not that one. That's impossible, God. And we laughed silently to ourselves. We got to be careful. Like Sarah, we may be in the realm of short sighted faith. Family can be complicated. And maybe because of all the history, or maybe because of all the letdowns and the pain and the hurts, and in the different personalities and, and opinions. Can you imagine prior to baby Isaac being born, all the family interactions? I mean, here's Abraham saying, okay, sweetheart, do we uh, prepare for the birth of a son and uh, make a, you know, a baby nursery? Or were we just hearing things weird? Do we, do we get it straight? what the messenger of the Lord said? Do we prepare for a baby? And how do we explain this to the family? I mean, there's Hornus over there, and what about Penelope over here? And what about Susie over Oh my, and you know what Joe's going to think. 
They're, they're going to call us crazy. Has anybody in your life called you crazy because you believe in God and go to church? Can you imagine being Abraham? Can you imagine being Sarah? And she's like, um, well, well, Sally, I know Abraham's building a little bassinet. I, I, let me explain. Oh, I'll be right there, honey. Just run out of the situation. How do you, can you imagine real life had to happen for them during those nine months? But then all of a sudden, while they're facing their little hot mess with family members, God does what only God can do. God fulfills His promises. And Sarah becomes pregnant. And before you know it, her little belly's coming out. And now there's a, more than just a little belly. There's a basketball. And now all of a sudden, they're going, oh my. He's not crazy after all making that bassinet. Look at all those little clothes she was making for that little bambino. Now all of a sudden, they're listening. They're listening. Abraham and Sarah learned to be one of the to do one of the toughest things regarding faith there ever is. And the same thing for you and the same thing for me. And that is to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Oh, I'm going to definitely repeat that one. This is one of the hardest things for Christians is to believe, to trust God, even when it doesn't make sense. Oh, we let, the, we let the leaders in the church do that part. There was no organized church for Abraham and Sarah. There was just them and God at this point. And they believed, even with their family. Did, did you hear that part? Do you believe even with your family? Now, now, don't be those weird Christians. Every time you get with family and you make everybody going, how, how, how soon before dinner? Because we got to leave. Why? Because they're here. Don't be those weird Christians. Be the real Christians who live in the real world, who have real problems of life like everybody else. Have you ever, I mean, it, it, it just frustrates when we've never tried to throw our Christianity on our family. And you know what? The last couple of years or so, all of a sudden it's, it's now, it's almost like they want to call me Pastor Marvin instead of just Marvin his family. I'll, I'll give you a, a small little thing. When, when the doctor was done, and the determination was all done about what we're going to do with dad about going into hospice. My older brother, he goes, hey, Marv. I go, yeah. He goes, pray for us all before we go. You see what just happened? I didn't ask for that. At the moment of great need, because I had been normal and real, they wanted Christ. 
And it just seemed normal to say, Marv, can you pray? And I prayed. And even the doctor said, Amen. So let me ask you, I'm getting a little personal here. What about you and your family? Your extended family? Maybe it's tough and awkward and a bit of a hot mess because maybe God's trying to strengthen your faith. Your reliance on Him. By allowing you to be in a position that seems like a true hot mess. Maybe you feel everything is chaotic. Even worse, hopeless. With God, maybe there's a miracle that's just around the corner if you hang in there. You know, sometimes... We in America, we just look at everything as now. It's got to be in my lifetime. It's got to be here. What if God was doing something completely different and saying, I'm going to use you to build this foundation that the next generation will build on top of it because God's doing something that's going to go, it's going to be transcendent upon generations upon generations. But if you don't do what you got to do, there won't be the building of a strong foundation. Oh, you may not see it with your own eyes, but you'll see it. From the eyes of eternity. See, in our, in our building of, of America, we, ooh, we don't like that idea. But what if we had to overtake the enemy of our soul and it was going to take five generations? And then from then on, there would never be the enemy of our souls. But it would cost five generations of faithfulness, of sacrifice. I would want to be part of one of those generations. Why? Because what's five generations compared to eternity? Blink. So let's get back to this story. Because it doesn't stop with Abraham. So now Isaac has been born. He's a miracle son. And the hot mess becomes even more of a, of a mess because Isaac is now grown and he marries a woman named Rebekah. And they have two boys. The oldest son is named Esau and the younger son named Jacob. And based on what we know to be true in the Old Testament era, Esau had the legal right to the birthright of being the eldest male son, which meant that he got double the inheritance that everybody else would get. In other words, he got half of what was there. The next half was divvied up in portions to everybody else. Okay, so we had five boys. The oldest got half, and then the other four got 25% of only a half. Okay? So that's just the way it worked. That's, that's how it went. But here's where it gets messy. Rebecca, that's the mom, and Jacob, that's the youngest boy, desired to have Esau's legal birthright. And Jacob and, and mom seemed they would be willing to do anything to get it. Now we know about the one story, and 
For time's sake, in Genesis chapter 27, I'm not going to get into all of it because we just don't have time. But we know the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau's went out to go do all his stuff in the woods and hunting, and he comes back and he's starving to death. And there's Jacob. He's the mama's boy. He's the homebody. And he's got stew there. And the big brother says, give me a pot of stew. And he says, no. He says, give me a pot of stew. He says, give me your birthright. So he manipulates the situation where he would give him the birthright. And because he verbally said, you can have my birthright, now give me the stew. He goes, what's the birthright to me anyways? I don't care. So he despised his own birthright. So for a bowl of soup, so for some stew. So that passes by, and before you know it, as the years go by, Isaac is now ready to die, and he says, hey, Esau. I love you, son. I'm hungry. Go hunt. Get me some wild game and cook it up the way I like it. And I'm going to bestow my blessing upon you because I am soon to die. All right. So this is kind of like where we pick up on things. Now, during this time, he takes off to go hunt and Jacob and Rebecca now come pop into the scene. Rebecca says, son, 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 listen, we have to hurry. Go get me a couple of them goats, the best ones, right? I'll cook up dad's favorite dish, you know, carne asada and beans. And when this is all said and done, hey, you weren't there, you don't know. So once they, once they made it all up, she goes, I'm going to make you pretend because dad's half blind. He's got cataracts. He can't see. Just go in there and have him bless you, and you'll get the birthright. We'll be a little sneaky. What's going on here? Isaac's favorite boy is Esau. Rebecca's favorite boy is Jacob. They have favorites. This is a hot mess. And so before you know it, he goes, wait a minute, mama. I'm smooth-skinned. I'm a city boy. I'm not like him. He's a country boy. He's got fur. Not a problem. Once we're done killing the animals, we'll skin them, wrap it. We'll, we'll put five holes on that thing, and we'll put it all down, and we'll wrap it tight around your arm, stitch it up tight. So when he goes to grab your arm, he'll find the fur. Oh. And then they put on his clothes of his brother's, and they even put some fur up here because he had fur on his neck. They, they covered all the spots. Well, this is where, let me, let me make sure I don't miss any verses here. So, I mean, the conspiracy is just ridiculous here. Let's go to Genesis chapter 25, verse 28. And 28 says, Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game. Esau would bring home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Favorites. These parents had favorites, and what a hot mess this would turn out to be. Jesus has some insight on this idea about having favorites. You know, I did this with my kids. I, I went up to, I've told this before, I just think it's appropriate. I, I went up to all my kids one at a time, and I told them, you know, Lauren, you're my, you're my favorite, but don't tell anybody. And then I went to Kelsey, and I said, Lauren, Kelsey, oh, sweetie, you're my favorite, but 
don't say anything to anybody. Don't tell your mom. And I said it to Theo, and I said it to Hunter. I said it to Coleman. He was too little. He just went with it. He still believes it. And one day, one of them spilled the beans to the other sibling that dad told me I'm his favorite. So the whole bunch of them, like an army, just mobbed me. Dad! You said, no, you told me. And I said, I didn't lie. Each and every one of you are my favorite. Now, don't you ever forget it. By the way, I told you never to tell. (laughs) That's not fair, Dad. You see, the Lord doesn't have favorites. Each and every one of you is his favorite. He loves us all. And in John 15, verse 12 and 13, this is my commandment. This is Jesus speaking. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Wow. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. One's friends. See, Jesus modeled for us how to love one another. Not just the favorites. Not just the ones that act a lot like you and you naturally understand them as a parent. Not just the one who has a title or who has a special role. Jesus loves us unconditionally, equally, and sacrificially. The type of sacrificial love Jesus requires us to lay down is the same one he laid down for us. He laid down his life. He left. There's a throne of God, and he was on the right side of God. And he left that. That was a place of comfort. It was right next to the Father. But because of love, he left the place of comfort. He left his world. He left his passion. He left what was special to him. Why? For God so loved the world. Wow. See, Jesus teaches us to love our family, especially the ones that are not easily lovable. Teaches us how to love our friends. Teaches us even how to love strangers. Because not of who they are, only, excuse me, because of who they are and whose they are, and not because of what they do for me. One of the reasons that people have favorites is because it makes them feel more comfortable and more, you know, look at me. That one looks just like me. Look how funny they are. Look how handsome and beautiful they are. So is that really love for them or is that just love conditional because of how they are makes you feel a certain way? God's saying, love them in spite of your needs and what you get in return. It's pure love. Maybe you know this verse. Maybe you can read it out loud with me. John 3.16. Let's uh, read this one together. Ready? Begin. For God so loved the world that He gave His that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. Our love should be poured out to all people equally. Amen? Well, here's a, here's a third thought I want us to catch today about a hot mess with family. And, and that is um, how to forgive one another. Probably the hardest place to forgive isn't really the person at church or the person at the job place or the person in the community. I think the hardest is, is family. Marriages. That's hard. Joseph is, is one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And at one point in the story, Joseph has a series of dreams as a, as a young teenager. And he takes these dreams and he goes and he tells his, his sibling brothers what these dreams are. And everybody's excited about these dreams. No, no, no. They weren't excited at all. Because these are dreams that would say, I am Joseph and I will be in charge and you will all bow down to me. Don't you think that's great, Brother Dave? Brother Jack, come over here and kiss my feet. You see what I'm saying? The, these brothers were ticked. They didn't like him. He's the spoiled brat of the bunch. Why? Because dad had favorites. I wonder where Isaac learned favorites from. Rebecca. And so all of a sudden, he gets this dream. He now has an assignment by his dad. Go out, check up on your brothers and come and give me word. Take some of these supplies and go. And when he goes to show up, the brothers see him. And they're going, here's our opportunity. Let's forgive him. Survey says, and what did the brothers say? Let's kill him. Well, one of them said, no, 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 let's just throw him in the cistern in this, in this big you know, hole in the ground. And eventually they sold him as a human slave, human trafficking. And they sold him off and he's off now to Egypt having to walk the whole way. So, we're talking a hot mess. Okay, here we go. Verse 23, again, chapter 37. When Joseph arrived, the brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing because his daddy gave him a special robe. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now, the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, he's the oldest, right? What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd, we'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brother pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. I mean, this is a little, I mean, there's inflation, so by the time we get to Jesus, it's 30 pieces of silver. 
But are you catching something here? Joseph is going to become the great deliverer. He's betrayed and sold. And so was Jesus. So Joseph pulled him out of the cistern, sold him for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. All right, so sure enough, Joseph finds himself sold into slavery and on his way to Egypt. But if you know the story, you know God's hand is still on Joseph. Through all the numerous setbacks, which I don't want to get into today, um, God divinely elevates Joseph from being in prison for a false accusation to second in command of all of Egypt, the greatest nation at the time. He's in control of the distribution of all the food. God tells him in a dream that there, interprets a dream that there's going to be a massive famine and all the years and everything else. And then they begin to stockpile grain. And because of that, the famine hits and his whole family now comes to Egypt to find grain. And in that, they're reunited. They don't recognize him at all. He's grown into a full-size man. His look has changed. And he's wearing all of the, the, well, I would call it a costume of sorts. His wardrobe is that of an Egyptian royalty. And he finally reveals to them who he is. And we know all the stories. And finally, the family comes to Egypt. Now, Dad Isaac dies. Now the boys are convinced we're dead. Now the dad's gone. There's nothing to protect us from the revenge of Joseph to get us. And we deserve to be executed. And he's second in command. He could just go like that, kill them, and they're dead. No court needed. Nothing. And so they're, 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 they're fearful about what is going to happen. So Genesis 50 they come and they tell Joseph, you know, your dad told us something. We want to make sure you know what dad said. Here we are, verse 16, Genesis 50, verse 16. So they sent this message to Joseph before your father died. Well, isn't it our father, by the way, guys? How come it's your father now? Isn't that interesting? He instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you. For their, sin is treat, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. Why wouldn't dad have done that himself? This is such a blatant lie. So we the servants of the God of your father, how about you just the servants of God yourselves? How come the servants of God of your father beg you to forgive our sin? When Joseph received the message... He broke down and wept. They, they understood Joseph's power was the massive threat, and they didn't seem to understand. It was Joseph who rescued them from the plague of the famine. It was Joseph who provided land. It was Joseph who provided homes. It was Joseph who provided food and was still providing it for them. If he wanted to kill him, he could have killed him at any time. 
So now let's go to verse 50. But Joseph replied, here's, here's, this is an incredible man of God. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. This man understood forgiveness. His own family, who threw him in a pit, who was going to kill him, who, who was just wanted him dead. I mean, they, they had to lie to their dad that they killed an animal and took the blood and put it all over his ripped wardrobe and said, look, daddy, he died. These men are just lying, and now they're still lying. He's saying, forgive. Forgive even your family members. Wow. If there's anybody who had the right to have these guys executed, it was Joseph. But he forgave them. Is there somebody in your family that you need to forgive? I have. I'll tell you something. Sometimes we go through these crazy things because it's really nothing more than preparatory. That God's preparing something in you so He can do something through you. This book I've, I've been reading, it, it talks about that when somebody, that, that we are to have a God response, a, a God behavior to an ungodly trauma or activity done to us. And when we do that, God elevates our spiritual authority. Have you noticed when somebody can use a verse and say something and you know it's not true in their own life? And it kind of goes... Ooh. But when you see somebody who had a godly response to an ungodly trauma or an ungodly event and because of that they stay true to the faith and all of a sudden they say the same verse and all of a sudden you go, whoa. That can be you. Maybe it was mom, maybe it was dad, maybe it was a sibling, maybe it was an aunt, an uncle, maybe it was a cousin. I don't know. My question is, are you going to have a godly response to that ungodly thing that was done to you that was wrong? It was your moment of being in the cistern. It was your moment of being sold and betrayed and sent away. And your name was ripped from you. The quality of your name. But if you choose to have a godly response to an ungodly act, God will lift you. And God will do something in you and through you 
because of that godliness that you fought to do. It's not easy. I hope you've seen today that our families, whether we like it or not, will at times be a hot mess. And sometimes that hot mess is there for years, decades. But no matter how bad the hot mess or the storm is, nothing's impossible with Him. The Bible's given us some keys to respond well in our own families, in our own situations. We're to trust God. We're to love others, even when they don't deserve it. We need to learn to forgive. Forgive out of obedience to God. And watch what God will do. The ball's in your court. This is one of those, do it and watch God cause you to live and grow and blossom versus choose no and watch all of a sudden that curse continue to take root deeper and deeper in the family line. And it will go from generation to generation to generation. Or that stops now in your generation. Ball's in your court. Father, I just come before You. Lord, as we close our eyes, as we bow our heads, as we, in a very, Lord, sobering state right now. Lord, I, I stirred up a, a lot of memories today. And for some, a lot of pain. Memories of some suffering. But Lord, we know that You are hope. And we know that with You, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. No matter what the hot mess is, You can set this captive free. As You help us, Lord, to trust You, to love others who don't deserve it even, to forgive others who really don't deserve to be forgiven, that we set ourselves free, not even them. But most of all, we're in a position now that you can bless. And you can bless not only us, but the generations to come after us. If there's somebody that you need to forgive, you need to love, and you want to do that, you want God to meet you at your faith? Would you look up at me? Would you raise your hand? And I want to believe and pray with you. Praise God. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes. And yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. Maybe you need to forgive yourself because you caused the hot mess. So Lord, I, I just pray for Your people. 
I just sense, Lord, there's been a lot of burden, a lot of tears, sleepless nights, worry, embarrassment, and shame. But God, you can do the impossible. You can, <laughs> you can unscramble an egg. You can do the impossible. And so Lord, I pray, bless those for their obedience to say, I choose to trust you, Lord. I choose to love even those who aren't deserving of love because you love me. And I choose to forgive I promise not to throw this in their face. I promise not to tell other people about this. And I promise not to meditate on this. God, I truly forgive. One, two, three. Now, God, bless them for their faithfulness to obey the word of God and do something great in them and through them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.